somebody care to open for us in prayer? Yeah, I'll open. Great. I'll Steve, open. Go ahead. Father, thank you for this time that we have together to uh, dive into your word. And um, I pray that uh, the distractions would be kept to a minimum. I know the enemy would like to uh, keep us away from your word. And um, I thank you that you have the power to uh, accomplish that. So uh, thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we, before we get into the passage, let me kind of introduce what we're going to talk about. The focus will be spiritual gifts, because that's the focus of verses 3 through 8. But let me just, I don't know how many of you know, but several years ago, I was involved with four families that founded a church, and I guess I was the fifth one. I wasn't a family, but Anyway, it was a fresh start, so you can do things new, and you can do things uh, innovative, I guess you could say. And at the time, and I still do, but at the time I had pretty much the philosophy of ministry that I'm going to share with you today that focuses somewhat on spiritual gifts, not entirely, because I don't think that's, you know, you can overemphasize it as well. I don't know if that's what Denise was referring to before we started here. But so I gave them basically the first thing that we studied, the first thing I taught as they were beginning to think in terms of founding a church was the whole doctrine of the church or ecclesiology. And we spent some time looking at the gifts because I emphasized the need for uh, all to be involved in the ministry of the church. So in that, after they kind of went through their vision for what they were thinking about, most of them came from Bible-centered Bible churches, and they lived in a place where there was not a, they had gone, all of them had gone, and it coincidentally, kind of at the same time, had gone to all the churches in the area and, and just were not happy. So those four families somehow got together and started talking, why don't we start our own? And so they had some grounding and some background and thought in terms of that. And uh, so they were starting to look for a pastor. Where's Janie? Janie's there. And one guy said, well, I know this guy that's teaching at this church in Albuquerque. I'd be glad to ask him. And then one of the uh, other members said, well, I've got a brother that knows a lot of people that maybe he might come up with somebody. So... That next week, I got a phone call from two people, <laughs> both of them kind of telling me the story and asking if I'd be interested. And, and so they set up a meeting and I got, met with them. And after they were done explaining kind of their vision for the church, I said, well, if you're looking for a pastor, I'm the wrong guy because I don't think I have the primary gift in that area and I'm not interested in being a pastor anyway. So everybody, you know, everybody started, well, well, sorry, we wasted your time, you know. <laughs> and I said, but if you're interested in in starting a church that is more biblically oriented, I'd be more than happy to help guide you guys and help you kind of get started, and then I'll go about my business somewhere else. 
and I laid out this vision for them and they said, well, that's kind of what we wanted to do anyway. So we got started and like I said, uh, first series that I taught even before they were a church is what is a church all about? One of the passages we dealt with was this Romans 12 passage. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And I think you can overemphasize spiritual gifts and get too focused on them. But I think also they're extremely important. And let me just remind you of some of the things we talked about last week where we were talking about believers and uh, the believers at Rome, particularly some of them uh, were just everyday people that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ that wanted to walk with him, and part of that walk involved ministry to one another, and some of them died for their faith. Many of them we don't even know about, and we'll probably never know till we go to be with the Lord, and he introduces us to them. So that's kind of what this passage is all about, but it stems from the prior passages We've spent lots of time talking about the provision of God's righteousness, the vindication of God's righteousness. Now, what does that righteousness look like when we try to live that out in everyday situations? We call that application. And I see Paul giving us these different areas where God's righteousness applies, or he's applying it to circumstances in our life. And obviously, everything starts with our relationship to God and only two verses, but I I think this is at the heart of everything else. If we don't have that relationship, that vertical relationship right, then none of the uh, horizontal relationships will work themselves out. So it all begins with us just simply yielding, if you want to use that word, or what Paul says, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, making ourselves holy and totally available, as we looked at in that verse 1, which involves two aspects. It involves an attitude towards the world. In other words, I don't want to do the same things that the world does, so I need to kind of rethink my whole background and not fall into the same patterns and same attitudes, same situations. So nonconformity to the world. And uh, so it means kind of breaking away from old patterns. And this is what a new believer spends some time doing is reorienting their life. And the more mature believer doesn't want to go back to that life. And it also involves the process of transformation. So this is very important. And part of that transformation process, as we make ourselves available, then we are useful in terms of using us in in the relationship to others within the body of Christ. So I think it flows. And one thing that I mentioned last time, verse 3 starts with 4. In other words, he's not starting a new topic or a new area. One passage flows right into the other very nicely. So this is kind of the result, or this is what it's going to look like when we lay ourselves on that altar, when we present ourselves, our bodies and our minds, 
And our wills, we're going to prove what the will of God is by yielding our wills. This is what it's going to look like. It's going to look like us relating to one another through the way that God has gifted us, through the way that God has empowered us to be able to minister to one another. So I see verses 3 through 21 as the outworking of God's righteousness within the body of Christ. This is what it looks like. If you want to know what it looks like, it looks like everyday situations. And the passage doesn't talk about Sunday morning. It doesn't talk about how good the pastor is. It doesn't talk about the programs. It doesn't talk about attendance. In fact, it has nothing There's no mention of Sunday morning at all. It has to do with every day and every circumstance that uh, God wants to use us in our spiritual gifts. And uh, the focus we'll see, as I remind you, is every single one of us. So that's the focus there. And then once we complete that, we'll see what does God's righteousness look like when we interact with the society Then he's going to deal with Christian liberty, chapters 14 and the middle of chapter 15. What does it look like in terms of uh, closer relationships around us? Kind of a special case, if you will. So that's kind of an outline of where we're heading and where we've been. So we've looked at the provision of God's righteousness, the vindication, and now the application. And we've spent a couple of weeks on verses 1 and 2 application in relation to God. Now it flows into the application relating to the church, 3 through 21, and the focus is the exercise of spiritual gifts. Now, I don't know how far into it you want to go. I don't want to overemphasize, so if I'm going too quickly, you know, let me know or enter or ask questions or whatever. If we don't get through everything today, that's fine with me. And if you get to verse 8, that's that's okay too. So we're going to focus on what it looks like to relate to the rest of the body of Christ and look at it broadly. Don't even think of Sunday. Just think in terms of how do I interact with fellow believers? And even though we may be apart Uh, We have lots of ways of ministering to one another over the phone, over the internet. You know, you can drive down the street, ride your bike down to a family and minister them in your gift throughout the week. In fact, I think the primary focus of the utilization of spiritual gifts is during the week, not Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a time where you gather for worship and encouragement and equipping so that you can go out and do the work of service. The body does the work of service, and I think it's primarily through spiritual gifts. And it begins with an encouragement for humility, verses 3 through 5. We looked at most of that last time, and we begin by evaluating our own situation Verse 3, the evaluation for humility, and it begins with Paul, for through the grace given to me, so he is the model we saw last time, or the example of humility, in that he doesn't say, because I am this great apostle, and because I have these multi-gifts, 
I've got the gift of prophecy. I've got the gift of apostleship. I've got the gift of teaching. And who knows, however, other gifts that I have. He doesn't say that. But he says, through the grace. In other words, I'm undeserving of anything. Everything is my grace. And what he's alluding to, through the grace that has been given to me, through that grace of apostleship, through that grace of receiving revelation and prophecy, and through that grace that I'm exposing and writing this book of teaching, it's through that grace given to me. Now he's going to address them. And we saw, I say, to everyone among you. And that's the point of the passage, I think. He's addressing himself to each and every true believer. And we've already seen includes both Jew and Gentile. Everyone among you, in other words, those that you have contact with, those that you have relationship with. Then we spent some time looking at the part that deals with where we begin, the evaluation. And I tried to stress two aspects. You don't want to think too highly of yourself. In other words, an unrealistic picture. And remember, this is in the context of spiritual gifts. This was the problem at Corinth, if you remember, when Paul gives three long chapters. Well, the short one is in between 12 and 14. But 12 is long, 14 is long on spiritual gifts. The main problem is this problem of out of perspective on spiritual gifts. They were emphasizing the spectacular. And I can imagine some of them were saying, well, I'm a prophet, so you need to give me prominence. I, you know, I'm uh, better than you. I've been blessed more than you have, and I'm going to exercise this gift. And others were said, no, uh, look at me. So you need proper evaluation. We looked at the words behind think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, and then to think again. Then the alternative is to have sound judgment. And I wanted to stress that you can have too high an opinion, but you can also have a diminished opinion that is not good as well. And if you have a diminished opinion of yourself and not a proper opinion, in fact, would somebody look up just kind of as an example, Numbers chapter 12? Somebody want to get that? You want to have a proper or a sound judgment of who we are, but you want to have a proper perspective on who you are, who we are, and and it's it's a it's one of humility. Humility in knowing that everything comes from God, knowing that everything is by grace, knowing that we don't deserve anything but condemnation, but also knowing that God wants to use us, not that I'm a nothing or a worm or whatever, but I have sound judgment and I know who I am. I know how I'm equipped. And now I'm in a place of usefulness because I don't diminish my spiritual gift. Kind of an example that I like to use is, is Moses himself. Read verse one and then, well, read verse one through three, Connie. Okay. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also through us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who are on the face of the earth. We have kind of a parenthetical statement that says right. that Moses was the most humble 
of anyone. Now, let me ask you the question. Who wrote that statement? Moses. Moses was pretty proud of his humility. Moses wrote that statement, claiming, now he writes it in the third person as if he didn't, but if you believe that he wrote the Pentateuch, then Moses wrote the statement that tells us that he was the humblest person on the face of the earth. So, Excuse me, Ray. Go ahead. (laughs) Would this be Moses making that statement, or is this the Holy Spirit through Moses making that statement, since God is not doesn't have his pencil there on the page or well he does through the holy spirit well both but the point i'm making is you know moses pens it describing himself humility is not putting yourself down correct humility is not diminishing yourself humility is looking at yourself with sound judgment and recognizing whatever capability whatever characteristics may be true And the truth of Moses' humility is stated by Moses himself. Now, it's parenthetical, and yes, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it comes off the pen, if that's what Moses used. The only point I'm making here is, and I use it because it's kind of striking that Moses would say such a thing or write such a thing, but it's a proper and a sound judgment of who he is, and that's what we need. Now, we... I'm spending more time than I wanted to here, but. We went through um, in Marty's Bible study on humility and significance, which is still going. Um, And part of the definition for humility was taking up the space you're given. Yeah. Not, not taking up more or less or less because then you're not filling your space. You're not doing what you're called to do. Yeah, exactly. And in the area of spiritual gifts, sometimes we think, well, mine's not that important. So, you know, or mine's not a speaking gift. Mine's not an upfront gift or, you know, so there's a tendency to diminish it, you might say, and not utilize it. So sound judgment. Now I need to move on. And it's as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And that's kind of where we left off. In other words, God has... And, and notice he's allotted, it's God that has given it, and we are to exercise it according to the measure. Now, some gifts are very extensive, some are more limited, but God is behind it, and God is the one that allots the gifts, and it's according to a measure, and he gives us, I think, the capacity to step out in faith in utilizing those gifts, Well, that's a review of what we looked at last time. I tried to stress the all-believer aspect of these passages, everyone amongst you. We just saw that in verse 3. The gifts that are allotted to each. So each one of us has spiritual gifts, combinations of gifts, probably a primary gift, four and five. There are many members, but each has a place. And then verse 5, there are many, but individually members one of another. So we all have a part within the body of Christ. And we'll look at those verses. I'm just kind of giving you a quick overview. And then each of us has spiritual gifts. We're going to stress that when we get to verse 6. There's also that diversity according to each. In other words, there are differences, distinctions, 
the measure of faith. There's different measures of faith, different uh, maturity levels, etc. There are different functions. There are different members. And in verse 6, there are different gifts. So God has designed the body to come together, work as one, but each part has its place. And as Connie was relating there, uh, we want to take up that space, if you will, not right. leave it vacant. Jim. Uh, in, in your own words, uh, would you address the reason God gives gifts? There's a there's vertical reason. There's horizontal reason, maybe reasons. Mm-hmm. So would you talk about that a little bit about the why gifts are given? Sure. Well, I think the bottom line is all gifts, and we'll get into this later, but all gifts, I think, are designed to glorify God. And I think that's part of what Paul is correcting in the problems at Corinth, and I think underneath this passage as well. So that's the vertical. In other words, the gifts should glorify him and fulfill what he has designed and what he has empowered or displayed through the use of the gifts. And I think the focus of Ephesians is the building up of the body. That's the horizontal purpose. It should minister to others. And in the process, we are encouraged ourselves. In other words, in the exercise of our gift, it builds us up. It encourages us. It gives us a purpose for living, a purpose for life. So that's more of an internal purpose. And I think those are the broad purposes. And then there's all kinds of secondary purposes as well, uh, fulfilling every little aspect of God's design. So vertically glorify God, horizontally building up the body, internally, uh, that would uh, include encouraging us as well, blessing us. In other words, we are blessed. That's one of the means that God uses to encourage and bless us as well, to be utilized by him. So what does it look like? And I've tried to look at the broad strokes. What does it look like living out righteousness within the body of Christ? Well, it has to start with that commitment to God. And we emphasized that last several times. And secondly, It uh, manifests itself in how we respond in an attitude of humility. So it has to have a right commitment, a right attitude. And I've got these on your outline sheet. And then that moves us into verse 4 where we kind of left off basically last time. And notice another 4. So it's kind of flowing. It's moving ahead. From that attitude of humility, now, just as we have many, many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, what he's doing here is just summarizing. If you want a longer explanation of the illustration Paul is using, you can go to 1 Corinthians, where he develops in some detail and gives some examples of the illustration of one body. And we can expand and utilize this illustration if you just think in terms of our physical bodies. And I don't want to go into a lot of detail, just kind of expand it, maybe give you another illustration related. But uh, 
Notice it's one long sentence, four and five. That's why I've got it on one slide. And we won't take the time, but basically this is the main part here. He gives us an illustration just as introducing the illustration. This is the heart of it. So, and then he has another subordinate clause. So we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So now he's talking about this relationship of oneness that we are a part of. We are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So the illustration for just as we have many members, and you can think you have hands, you have one of each, but even when you have duplicates, they, they work together. They're individual. You have a right hand and a left hand. Uh, you have two eyes. Now, I had a, have an uncle that had an accident, and one of his eyes was uh, destroyed as a, as a boy. So he lived most, I mean, nobody noticed it. Uh, he lived most of his life with a glass eye. So he was limited in his vision because we need two of them to give us depth perception. So they're both individual and they both serve a function. You can go down and give all kinds of illustrations. Paul does that. You know, not all are a foot, not all are a hand. So we have many members to kind of uh, use an illustration. All members do not have the same function. You know, you can go through lots of analogies there. The bottom line is he's comparing it to uh, the body of Christ and the spiritual body of Christ. You could look at it at the micro level, not only on the visible kind of outward obvious level that most people develop in some detail, but even within one single cell, and all of us are made up of single cells, chart here is inadequate in giving the multiplicity of parts. And these are all very complex parts, but every part plays a role or has a place in the functioning of every single cell. Diseases are as a result of the accumulation of cells not functioning right, but cells that don't function right are as a result of some of the individual parts not, not working. I like what uh, all this comes from my creation science stuff. What Michael Behe says, the cumulative result shows with piercing clarity that life is based on machines. And I would stress kind of individual machines that even they have individual parts and complexity to them. And each of you is very complex, but you are one. You are one. You're like a machine in a greater functioning machine, you might say. And he says machines made of molecules. We use this argument to argue for the impossibility of evolution, but I'm using the illustration to illustrate how the importance of each individual part here. Uh, Michael Denton also says, molecular bio biology has shown that even the simplest of all living systems on earth today, bacterial cells, are exceedingly complex objects, far more complicated than anything built by man. Well, 
the illustration is all of the parts have to fit together and function together before that cell can do its job. And, you know, we have varieties of different cells. You have blood cells, skin cells, uh, bone cells, etc. Go down the list. They all function together to make up who we are as a whole, as a body. And the idea here is similarly, we all have a place in the body of Christ. And the reason the church is not this powerful entity in the world today is because most of the parts are not functioning. We pay somebody, one individual that may not have a complete complement of gifts, to do all of the work of the ministry. The design is that each part have a place. Now, some have more prominent, some have more visible, but each individual part is important. And the point being is you are gifted. God has designed each and every one of us to fit in the body, four and five, many members, but also diversity, different functions. And uh, and then verse five gets into, he uses the analogy or the uh, illustration of verse four. So we, in other words, here's the point, who are many, kind of reiterating verse four, are one body in Christ, a multiplicity of parts that God has designed to fit together and all of the parts functioning as a unit. Now, we don't think about it. You use your right hand and then your left hand helps the right hand to uh, perform a task. And then the eyes obviously give us the coordination of how to fit fit whatever we're doing, whether you're cooking a dinner or whatever. And uh, the arm facilitates the hand, etc. So all of these things work together to perform a particular task. So also that's the design of the body of Christ. And we're individually members of one another. So one body, many members, each working individually to accomplish what God has intended. And what he's getting at here is the many members individually, one of another, different members. The whole point here is you have to have the right relationship to one another, that's the point of the passage, proper attitude or right attitude, right commitment, starting with the right commitment, but it also includes a right relationship to one another of interdependence, just like the body, but also interactivity, you might say, or interutilization of each of the parts, the parts working together. So what we've seen already in this Romans passage is these gifts function with humility, knowing the proper place. And we've already seen, in fact, verse 3 stresses it's by grace. That's how the passage begins. And that's the underlying attitude of humility is knowing that everything stems from God himself and The gifts are to be utilized in unity, not giving overemphasis to some and underemphasis to others. 
That was the problem at Corinth. So this kind of gives you the highlights of what we're looking at so far. And then verse 6, the encouragement to exercise these gifts. And we have a long, you might say, sentence here. Now, there's a lot of words that are supplied. I didn't kind of emphasize them. I don't want to get into the weeds of the grammar here. I want to stay more on the practical level. But the translators almost have to, in order to communicate, add a lot of words. So there's a lot of what's called ellipsis, words left out. In fact, there's no verb in the Greek text. (laughs) There's no main verb, so we kind of supply it. There are subordinate or verbs in the subordinate clauses, but in essence, there's no single verb there. And the translators try to capture the essence of it. Each of us is to exercise accordingly. They supply the is there, but there's no is in the Greek text, which is not unusual and which is not poor grammar either. Greek functions that way. Just to let you know that there's several words that are supplied here. And this whole phrase is almost one that is supplied in order to give us the sense But this is kind of at the heart of the whole thing that goes from six to eight is the exercising of these gifts, how the body is to to function. And it begins with, since we have gifts that differ. In other words, he's already kind of established that each one is unique and each one is different, but we function as a whole together in the body of Christ This is what it looks like for righteousness to work itself out in our relationships to one another within the body of Christ. It works itself out through the exercise of spiritual gifts. So let's take a look at this concept. There's different gifts and they're very diverse. In other words, they're different and diverse, and everyone is unique. In fact, before we started looking at the passage itself, when people were signing in, we were already talking about gifts and answering questions. And one of the questions was relating to personal gifts. So we'll talk a little bit about that and the uniqueness. And I tried to stress that what we have in these lists I'm going to give you a list in a moment here, but first of all, look at the word that we have for gift, and then we'll talk a little bit about this diversity of gifts. The term here, charisma or charismata is the Greek word. That's just a different form. That's what we have here in the Romans passage. That's the word that occurs in verse six there. And Those of you that know a little bit of Greek, what does that word sound like? What does it seem like it's related to? Grace. Grace. Very good. Charis. So that already is telling you something about spiritual gifts. They're, They're not earned. Well, they're not even other things as well. I'll get into that in a moment. But we'll come back to this word, charisma, and just for completeness here. There are two words that are used in 1 Corinthians 12, and also 14, by the way. Another one, pneumatikas. What does that word sound like, you Greek students? 
Numa. What is that? Breath. Breath and or? Spirit. 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 Yeah. So I think the usage of that word stresses the source or the origin. They come from the Holy Spirit. They're pneumaticas. They're spiritual. In fact, you could even translate them spirituals or breath-like, relating to the Holy Spirit, pneumaticos, pneumas, the Spirit. And they're also, in Romans 12, he also uses charisma. And if, in Hebrews 2.4, we have a different word. I don't want to get into that one, marismas, but that's another usage of the word. He's not talking about spiritual gifts, but he does use the word for gifts, referring to spiritual gifts, but not focusing on them. The Ephesians 4 passage, he uses the very word for grace. He calls them grace, graces, I guess you could say. Aris, again, stressing the uh, unmerited aspect of them, undeserved aspect of them. There's a, another place where you find them in 1 Peter 4.10, and we have charisma again. So this idea of grace gifts, you could even translate it. There are four major lists. We have them in 1 Peter 4, where spiritual gifts, he gives two categories for them. Anyone remember that passage or somebody want to, well, we'll look it up later. In fact, somebody look up 1 Peter 4, and later on we'll come back to it. And somebody look up the next one, the Ephesians 4 passage, because there's some things in there that we want to look at. And then there's uh, some passages in 1 Corinthians that we might look on if we have some time. And then you have the Romans 12. So you have two chapter 4s and two chapter 12s, at least the beginning in 1 Corinthians. And here's these are the lists. We have lists of spiritual gifts in all four of these passages, although First Peter, you just have two categories, not a list, but two categories. Anyone know what those two categories are? Anyone? Well, two categories, so that we get to it a little more quickly here. You have speaking gifts, more overt, you might say, visible speaking gifts, public gifts, you might say. And then there are what are called serving gifts that may be less visible and perhaps even behind the scenes and non-speaking gifts. Two categories. And then I see ver uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians as foundational gifts. Foundational gifts. So you have foundational gifts in Ephesians 4. And the focus of chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians are the misuse of gifts. But we have another list. And we have some spectacular gifts, some controversial gifts that we're not going to get too much into unless you guys are interested, I guess. But the misuse in Corinth of the more spectacular, the, the more uh, miraculous gifts, I guess you could say. And he's trying to give a balance there. And he emphasizes one of the ones that we have in chapter 12. And I think chapter 12 gives us the major gifts that you can see in the church at any point in time, the ones that are more the ongoing ministry of the church, you should see these manifested throughout church history. And I would say these are kind of the prominent gifts, the ones that probably should be focused on more so than any of the spectacular gifts. These lists are not comprehensive. And I think 
uh, what we have are like samples of what they look like, what they may look like, but you can have probably an infinite combination such that everyone is unique. That's one of the things we talked about early before we got into the passage. So who you are is so unique. We talked about snowflakes in the unique aspect, not in the aspect of melting away into nothingness, but the uniqueness like fingerprints. There's no one that has the exact combination of spiritual gifts that you have such that your place in the body of Christ is absolutely essential. And God wants to use you in a unique way in the unique combination of gifts that he may empower you to have. Now, some of them may be more prominent and some of them may be very minor. And we'll look at that when we look at some of the individual gifts. So lists are not comprehensive. Jim, go ahead. Doesn't that, what you just said, doesn't that suggest then that it is important when a person becomes a believer that they seek to know what their gift is, since that would be the area God designed them uh, for the purpose of functioning in the church? Yeah, I'd say absolutely. I'd say yes, that it's important. And I think that's why Paul starts with the spiritual gifts and, and why they are central to the functioning of the body. And it also explains why the body of Christ in the world, not only today, but historically, has not been as powerful as it was in the first century. Yes, absolutely. Well, I will add to that then. that For me, uh, speaking personally, for many years, that was how to go about doing that was abstract. And my, uh, it seems like to me that it remains abstract for a large portion of the body of Christ. Okay. One yep. of the reasons that it feels abstract is that it's not something given to us like a, a pink flower. It is how the Holy Spirit chooses to work through us. And so the way we come to understand the gift is by pressing into the relationship with the Spirit and asking Him about it. And so it may not be something that a new believer comes to right away because they need to build that relationship with the Spirit. Yeah, it may not become evident right away. And to add to that, I I would agree with that. To maybe simplify it, I don't know that we should overemphasize identifying and seeking the gift, but to seek more the presenting of our bodies as a living sacrifice and then just functioning. And as we function, I think that's how we discover what those gifts are. And right. and we'll talk some more. Well, maybe next uh, Ray, next time. Go ahead, Mary Lee. I, I I am wondering if that also is one of the ways that the church is letting down the believers because people who have been walking with the Lord would see these and they can encourage instead of saying, "Go bring me a rock," which sometimes looking for your spiritual gift finds looks like. They say, go, go find your spiritual gift, well, for heaven's sakes. But if people say, you know, you do this very well, this could be one of your gifts. Yes. And helping new believers identify it uh, 
so that they begin to know, well, what does it feel like when the spirit works through me as opposed to when I was forcing it myself? Yes. Yeah. And I think you become confirmed in that gift as you exercise just faithfulness to God. And I think our focus should be more moment by moment, just walking with him and letting him use us with an awareness that if there's a need there, I just jump in and try to meet the need as best I can. And over time, I I find out, oh, you know, people seem to be responding to my gift of mercy. Maybe that's what I've got or whatever other gift you may have. We'll get into more of that. First of all, so because the word charisma and pneumaticas is used, we could, uh, they're related to grace. They're not inherent. They're not natural. Now, I think God can combine a spiritual gift with some natural talents, but not always. Sometimes they are different from natural abilities, so they're not natural. Some people emphasize the office. Some of them are offices, like apostleship and You might even say today, pastor, pastor, teacher, but they're not offices. Spiritual gifts are not offices. They're different. There's no office of giving, right? (laughs) Some may create an office of evangelist or whatever, or a position, you might say, but they're not natural. They're not offices. They're spiritual. That's from pneumaticas, the spiritual aspect of them. So they're in some ways unseen You see the outward manifestation of them, but the essence of it is their spiritual workings that are unseen. We've stressed their gracious, undeserved. God decides. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that the Spirit is the one that decides. They're granted according to the Spirit, so they're gracious. And we've been stressing that they vary. They're very different, and each of us is unique. And... We need, uh, who's that, Connie? Go ahead. I will, is it okay to pray for a gift? I think, I mean, I think I so. I prayed in the past. I wanted to be an encourager. And is that okay to pray for one? You say they're God-given. Does that mean, what does that mean? I can't take it myself? No, I think uh, when you're praying, you're praying, Lord, how do you want to, how do you want to be, how do you want to use me? And if God has put in you the desire to be an encourager, then more than likely that's the area that God will utilize you because he puts that desire in you. And I think the desire is part of the granting of a gift because God has already gone before you. And if he put that desire, then that's the area to pursue and see how God may use you. And that may be confirmed one way or the other. Thank you. Connie, I have to tell you, you're already an encourager. Thanks, David. And have been. Uh, Norman, did you have a comment? Well, it's funny. I didn't indicate that I had. Desire earnestly the best gifts. Yep. And those are indicated to be communication gifts that edify the church. Yeah, but exactly. That's the First Corinthians passage there. You need to talk about, because this is another problem, and it has been historically, they can be abused. And probably the, the biggest abuse that I've been stressing in this passage is their neglect, their non-usage. You see a lot of abuse at Corinth, 
the abuse of the speaking in tongues, even the abuse of prophecy and the abuse of other of the gifts. Paul has to spend three long chapters dealing with the abuse. So I think every one of the gifts can be counterfeited and used or counterfeited by the dark world, by the demonic world. There's false teachers, false apostles. So I would uh, see all of the gifts counterfeited, uh, not just some of those that some would identify today in, in terms of charismatic gifts. I guess I, I'll tell you where I stand. Uh, I'm not entirely, I guess is a better word of describing, I'm not entirely a cessationist. Do you know what that means? That the uh, tongues is no longer with us, mainly, and certain of the miraculous gifts. Yeah, and most in our circles, most the Bible teachers, probably every one of the chafer profs except me, most in our circle would be cessationists. Personally, I'm not. Good. The spiritual comment in the Bible that made me wonder about my prior opinion, which was like the most, was it says, forbid not to speak in tongues. And that was a rather of an absolute for me, and so I couldn't go with it made me wonder about the teaching of those who obviously did even use the word verboten from the <laughs> German. Yeah. But on the other hand, at this point, I think there's a high level of abuse of some of the miraculous, well, probably all of the miraculous gifts, but all of the gifts can be abused in one way or another. We're human, we're sinful, we're sometimes in the flesh. And anytime we are exercising a gift in the flesh, I think it's an abuse of the spiritual gift. So, the father of confusion. Yep. So they can be abused. And I say that I think God, because I don't want to limit God. That's why I'm not an entirely a cessationist. And I can see we're not going to get through the whole passage, which is okay. We'll come back and look at the rest of verse 6 here, but let's get further in here, and I'm going to talk some more about how each of them can be abused, but stress more what they look like and how they can be utilized. Before we stop today, let's define what they are. They're not natural abilities, but they are supernatural enablements. This is a simple definition of them. Supernatural, that's the pneumatikas aspect and the charisma aspect. They're supernatural, but they are abilities or enablements. And what Jim was bringing out is their purpose for the serving of our Lord. In other words, this is how God wants to utilize us in the body of Christ with all of our unique aspects, our unique background, our unique areas of uh, maturity, but uh, God is behind them. They are supernatural and they're enablements, but any enablement is to be utilized, is to be implemented. And that's in the area of serving our Lord. And I think that's the main focus. So it is, I think, totally unbiblical to have the mindset 
that, oh, we're paying that guy to do the ministry. Well, he's the one that has the office that calls for him to do ministry. I don't think that's a biblical concept. And I think that's an abuse of spiritual gifts uh, in the area of neglect. So just like a team has different team members and each one has different skills and different heights. Now, I told you I used to be able to dunk a basketball, but uh, the goal had to be eight feet tall. My ability was more in uh, three-point shooting than dunking basketballs. So we all have these unique abilities on any given team, so also in the body of Christ. So supernatural enablements for the serving of our Lord. And stress again, notice he continues to stress according to the grace given to us. The idea of grace again, undeserved, unmerited. And then each of us, the idea of not only given to us individually, but each of us stressed. And here's the heart of the whole passage. Each of us is to exercise them, going back to gifts, accordingly. In humility, all the things we talked about, interdependence, but the stress here is the utilization of the gifts. And I've already said that whole phrase is highly elliptical. And, but I, I think the translators are capturing the, the, the emphasis of, of the passage here. And again, I've been stressing each of us. And the gifts are not only to be utilized in humility, recognizing that they are by grace, stressed again, in unity, that's four and five, verses four and five, with diversity, that's throughout the passage and emphasized again in verse six, and then the stress again in verse six, by each believer, that kind of captures the essence of 12, three, and then it's the, the rest of the verses there is emphasizing the diverse way how each believer may manifest any particular spiritual gift. Well, this might be a good place to stop, and I'll begin next time by stressing stressing uh, that each of those major passages where we have the lists, each one, and those of you that look them up, keep a tab in your Bible and you can I'll have you read them next time. Ephesians 4, 7, to each one. 1 Peter 4, 10, each one, again, has a gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 and 7, to each one. And then what we have here in Romans 12, 6, each of us. So every single true believer has, I think, at least one supernatural enablement and probably a combination of maybe even several, or a couple of them, or three of them. I think to the extent of each of our uniqueness, we are all gifted, and therefore we all have a place in the body of Christ. So how does the righteousness of God work itself out? What does it look like in terms of the church? It starts with 
the right commitment to God, the right attitude of humility, the right relationship to one another, and finding our right ministry in the body of Christ functioning in one's spiritual gift. And that's probably a good place to stop. And next time we'll look at the particular gifts, the explanation of the gifts. But our time has run out. So we didn't quite get into, and I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on them, but maybe I'll spend a little bit more time since we didn't get to them. Who wants to close? Let's have a closing prayer and then we'll get into a time of prayer. And those that need to leave can leave if they have to. Anyone want to close for us? Thank you, dear God, for uh, time together when we get to uh, look into the Word of God a little deeper than we normally would. Certainly more deeper than churches look into it as a general rule. And we thank you for this person who's a professor in colleges and a doctor in whatever he's a doctor in, an engineer. Uh, (laughs) to do all these things for us uh, and teach us in this way. And we thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And whoever I am asks the question, (laughs) do you know your giftedness? Hmm. And are you using it? That's kind of the bottom line. Ray, I had a thought I'd like to share. Uh, You made the uh, alliteration to a molecule, right, and all the parts and pieces thereof, how they all had to be in the right place and performing their right duties. The thought I had was that the body of Christ is like a big, gigantic puzzle with all the pieces uniquely shaped. And the pictures on the other side, we can't see what that picture is. Each of us fits into a specific place, and God changes the picture as he sees fit. This is why we need him every day. That's right. Very good. Another analogy. A piece in the puzzle. Try it. Exactly. 